Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Our sermon text for today is going to be found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. We'll be considering verses 19 through 25. So if you have your Bible or you can follow along the screen, our sermon text for today is going to be in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of God. Let's join our hearts in prayer this morning. Father, it is such a wonderful privilege to be able to enter in. Lord, we uh, forgive us, Father, this morning when we so often take this for granted, treat it lightly, and do not fully avail ourselves of this privilege to draw near. You invite us this morning, and we invite one another to draw near you. And Lord, you've made that possible through the precious blood of Christ. Not only that we can draw near, but as this text says this morning, we can draw near with confidence. We can come with boldness, not arrogance, but boldness, because we now come through the Lord Jesus Christ, who has full access to your presence as God, as our, as our victorious high priest, And we come in through Jesus. And Lord, we just thank you that now we gather together corporately this morning as as your children. We come around your throne this morning. Thank you that we can come. and, And this morning we do come with confidence, with boldness, praying that you will continue to manifest your presence this morning. That we will realize where we are this morning throughout this service. That you will take every thought captive in this room that every person will surrender anew and afresh their thoughts, their minds, and even as you tell us, our very bodies as a living sacrifice of worship. So be glorified, Lord, as as we seek this morning to hear from you. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of proclaiming this uh, passage today, your word. We believe that it is the inspired and errant word of God, and we thank you that you've given us the teacher through the Holy Spirit to give us understanding. So give us understanding this morning. Give us illumination this morning to receive and understand your truth. And Father, I pray you'll speak to the youngest child this morning, to the oldest adult, that every one of us, God, will will allow you to speak to us this morning. Thank you for this uh, this passage that invites us to, again, uh, call one another 
together to, to persevere as your children. And so again, we, we pray for that in every heart and life. But Lord, we also pray for those who do not know you personally. We know in this room this morning, we, we have been praying, we know some individually, we love them, we don't seek to embarrass them. But Lord, we do pray that you will awaken their heart by the work of your spirit, that you will uh, overcome their resistance, that you will pull down the strongholds, whatever is in their life that is keeping you from seeing their need for Christ and that you will draw them to Jesus this morning, and this will be for them the day of salvation. So God, we're, we're, it's a joy to be here. Speak to us, make the most of our time together, be glorified in the outcome of this morning of our response of obedience. And Lord, thank you that you are continuing a work of transforming us into the likeness of Christ. So use your word this morning. Speak through your messenger, I pray, Lord, to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. When I was a teenager, um, I had two different uh, horses, not at the same time, but uh, I had a horse, first of all, when I was just, just uh, probably about uh, 13 or 14 that I bought uh, from a camp, and his name was Burner. He was just an old camp horse. He wasn't much to look at, uh, but, uh, but he, was a, he, he, is, he did have what we call spirit. He was spirited. He loved to run, and I loved to ride him. He was a lot of fun. But one thing about Burner is he was so spirited, he was just always wanting to run. He always wanted to run off and to leave everybody else. And uh, in fact, one day he ran off with me on his back, twice in fact, uh, and I couldn't stop him. Everything I tried to do, I, he wouldn't stop. So I had to get another bit that, uh, that to put on the bridle so that I could control him, because otherwise he's pretty un uncontrollable. Uh, well, then later I, I wanted to calm down a little bit, and, and uh, I, I bought a, another horse. Uh, her name was Frosty, and she was a pretty horse, but she was kind of the opposite of Burner. She, was, uh, she didn't have much get up and go. Get up and go. Uh, she was, uh, she's kind of lazy. And so um, when, even when I wanted her to trot or to gallop, I had to buy a spur to put on my uh, boot so that I could spur her on. And, uh, you know, as I think about those two different horses, I think they kind of compare to, to a lot of different folks, you know. There's a, some folks that are, you know, they're gang-ho, they're, they're ready to go, they're, they're ready to run, but they go off and leave everybody else. And then there are a lot like, more of us probably like Frosty, that we need to be spurred on. In fact, that's the word uh, that's translated. Uh, my te our text uses, uh, again, the word to, uh, to stir up one another, but some translations use this word spur, to spur one another on. And so that's, uh, that's what a, lot, a lot of what this passage is about this morning. And let me just remind us, we've been out of Hebrews for a while. We're back to uh, the, our study of the book of Hebrews. We entitled the series, Consider Jesus... He is infinitely greater, and that is the message of, the, of the, all the book of Hebrews. And up to now, uh, the, past, the Hebrews writer has shown us how Christ is better. He's better than Moses. He's better than the angels. He's better than all the prophets, better than Joshua, better than Aaron uh, as the high priest, better than all the Levitical priests. He's better in his sacrifice. In fact, as, as is repeated over and over again, Christ offered a, the sacrifice, the final sacrifice, once for all. He ended the need for any animal sacrifices to be offered. He paid our debt in full so that, as we sang this morning, we can enter in. 
And, uh, and again, he shows in, this, in Hebrews how his new covenant is better than the old covenant. You may wonder why is he saying this? Again, as we pointed out, the, the, those who are receiving this letter were uh, Jew, Jewish believers, those who'd come to faith in Jesus as their Messiah, or at least had professed to. And some of them now, under persecution, were beginning to consider going back to uh, Judaism. And so the writer is continuously showing them up to this point, again, how Jesus is superior, how he's better. And, and again, spurring them to continue on in their faith and in their race, in their relationship uh, with Christ. That's up, all the way up through 1018. But beginning uh, in this uh, passage this morning in 1019 uh, and continuing through the end of the book, the writer takes the truths that he's pre- presented and shows, uh, again, how Christ's superiority should, should spur us on to enduring faith, even in the face of trials, because these believers were undergoing and facing persecution and on an increasing level. Uh, again, this passage presents three exhortations to us. Uh, you know that you'll note them because each of them begins with let us. And so again, as we title the message, A Mutual Call to persevere, that's what we're to do for one another. We're to mutually call one another to persevere. That's why we need one another. So again, facing these increasing, uh, this increasing persecution, these professing Jewish believers are being tempted to turn back. And so again, we note a threefold mutual call to persevere. Note these with me, if you will. First of all, let us draw near to God in faith. Let us draw near to God in faith. By the way, if you're a guest with us this morning, you'll, have, you'll note the outline on the back of your bulletin to help you follow along and take some notes there. Uh, the writer calls us to draw near to God. Uh, this is one of the great themes of the, of the book of, of Hebrews. And as we've said, this is what God desired all along. From the time of the fall when Adam and Eve sinned against God and, and this, uh, this uh, curse came upon uh, humanity of sin and people therefore were separated from God, uh, God had even created Adam and Eve for the purpose of fellowship. But now sin had, had destroyed that and made that impossible. God gave temporary provisions and even through all the Old Testament sacrifices, through the tabernacle and then through the temple, God was showing them that he desired uh, to be near them. He desired to have a relationship with them, but sin continued to mar that. All of these things were pointing toward the day when Jesus would come and make it possible for us to draw near. And now on this side of the cross, on this side of the empty tomb, we're able to celebrate this wonderful truth of being able now through Christ to draw near. He said something very similar to that in, in, uh, in Hebrews 4.16. And this word here about drawing near uh, is also translated, let us approach And again, think of this in light of, in the Old Testament, all the barriers that made it impossible. All of those things that, even in the tabernacle, in the temple, uh, they were all things that were saying, don't come any closer. You can't come any closer because of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. You can't come near. 
But now in Christ, what a great privilege that we can draw near through the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how we're able to draw near. He answers two questions uh, in, in these verses 19 to 22. First of all, how can we have confidence to draw near? He says we have confidence. We have boldness, if you will, literally, to draw near. How is it possible that we can be so confident in being able to draw near? Well, notice, uh, first of all, because of his finished work. Because of Jesus' finished work, we can draw near. He, he begins to tell us that uh, here in, in verse 19 when he says, by the blood of Jesus. You remember that the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies only one time a year on the, the great day of atonement. He would come in and offer up the blood of animals on, uh, on behalf of himself and on behalf of the people. Scripture tells us that could not cleanse sin, but again, it was pointing to the day when Jesus would offer himself up and his precious sinless blood would be made available and would atone for our sin, make it possible for our sin to be forgiven. So it is by the blood of Jesus that he offered himself up as our sinless substitute on our behalf. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And notice again in verse, um, verse 20, he goes on to say, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. The new and living way. The word new here uh, is only, uh, this is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. And literally it means freshly slaughtered. This speaks of the fact that Jesus' death, though it's, a, though it's a work of the past, it's a work that is a finished work, but the effects of his, his death for us are always available. They are, as the Bible says in, in 1 John 1, 7, for the child of God, his blood cleanses us, literally keeps on cleansing us from all sin. And, and, uh, and so, again, the, the, the word living, of course, speaks to the fact that, that his, uh, his work is continuous as well. And he's alive. He rose again. He's a, a risen Savior. He's a living Savior. And again, he continues to intercede on our uh, behalf. And again, we think of the old covenant. All of the old covenant w was dead and, and could not bring life. Jesus, who is life, uh, has provided his life and gives his, give, gives his life for us. Notice he opened this way for us through the curtain, through his flesh. Um, again, if you remember the holy uh, place and, and holy of holies was separated by a huge curtain or a huge veil. Uh, and uh, this, the Bible tells us uh, that on the day that Jesus died, as the Lord Jesus uh, gave up his spirit, the Bible says that, that when he died, that the, this great veil was torn in two. And the writer of Hebrews is using this as a word picture to picture that Jesus' body was the veil. Jesus is what, because his body was torn, because his blood was shed, he is the one who now makes it possible for us to enter in, for us to come into God's presence, not once a year, uh, but continually. We can draw near to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. What a glorious provision that he's made for us. He took our sin once again and became sin for us 
so that we could become his righteousness, so that we can enter in. What a wonderful opportunity that we have to draw near through the Lord Jesus Christ. And once again, he, we are able to do that. We're able to have confidence because of his finished work. But second, we're able to have confidence because of his continual intercession. Notice in verse 21 what he says. He says here, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Jesus is the great priest. He's the great high priest as he's referred to throughout the book of Hebrews. And he makes it possible. The Bible says in Hebrews 7.25, he is ever interceding for us. He is always making it possible for us to draw near to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's entered into the Father's presence. And listen, brothers and sisters, when we repent of our sin and place our faith and trust in Christ, not only does Christ come into us, but the Bible says we are now in Christ. And because Christ is able to draw near, we are then able to draw near. We draw near in Christ, through Christ. He brings us near to God, again, now and forever. That's why the Bible says, as believers, that we are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. You see, that's why we know and believe so strongly in the doctrine of, of eternal security as believers, because we're already with him. We're seated with him. And we're in Christ in the heavenly places, his continual intercession. But notice the second question from this passage. How can we continually draw near? Not only can we have confidence to draw near, but we can continually or continuously even draw near to him. How is that possible? Well, notice verse 22. He, again, he tells us, let us draw near with a true heart, with a true heart. This is how we can continually draw near. We must have a true heart. This means a sincere, genuine heart. It speaks of that which measures up to or without superficiality or hypocrisy or an ulterior motive. He says, we, so we, uh, we come again. You say, how, how is that possible? Well, again, he makes that true for us. He's the one who transforms our heart and gives us a genuine heart. Secondly, we come in full assurance of faith. He's already said we can come confidently, but we can come with full assurance, confidence, assurance of Faith, fully persuaded is what this literally means. We come knowing that, knowing that in faith we are completely accepted in the beloved. In Ephesians, the Ephesians passage says we are accepted in the beloved. We're accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the only kind of, of righteousness that the, God the Father accepts is the righteousness of Jesus. And the Bible says when we are born again, as we turn from our sin, place our faith and trust in Jesus, he declares us righteous. He, he uh, imputes us or he gives to us the very righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we are in Christ, God sees us in Christ. And that is how we are able to come near in full assurance of faith, his righteousness is now our righteousness. Let me ask a question. Whose righteousness are you trusting today? You see, a lot of people, sadly, are still trusting their own righteousness. 
That was the problem with the Pharisees. It's a problem today with a lot of religious people. They're still trusting in their good works. And the Bible says the very best we can come up with is filthy rags in the sight of God. Stop trying to trust your own righteousness, friend, and turn to Jesus and trust in his righteousness, his finished work, by, again, turning from your sin and placing your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Notice also we, we, can't, we're, we can continually draw near with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. This is, this is language really from the Old Testament ritual uh, by which the, the high priest, or rather the, the, all the priests, would be sprinkled with blood. And this was so that they could offer the sacrifices, so they could do the work of priests, and they could uh, enter into God's presence. Uh, and so this was a regular uh, ritual that they went through. But we've already seen that the blood of animals could never cleanse and could never cleanse the conscience of guilt. And so no matter what they did, they still had this hanging over them, if you will. But, and they all still had a guilty conscience. Isn't it wonderful that as believers, when we repent of our sin, as scripture tells us here, we can also now have the, the joy of a, of a clean conscience. See, on, the only thing that can remove the guilt from our hearts and lives is the blood of Jesus. That's all. That's the only thing that will cleanse us. And when we are cleansed of our sin, when we repent of sin, place our faith in Christ alone, not only are we cleansed, but, but we then have peace with God. Our conscience is clean and right, and we can come before him with confidence. We don't have to live under guilt. Now, as believers, we still are plagued by that. We still are tempted by that. And our flesh still wants to take us back to what we used to be instead of who we are. But in Christ, we are new creations. We're clean. Hallelujah. We are clean in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's the work that the Lord Jesus does for us. And he keeps on cleansing us and restoring us as we confess our sin. Again, we can, we can know that we're in fellowship with him. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And finally he says, and our bodies washed with pure water. Now this is a, also is a reference to the Old Testament ritual of washing the body in preparation for service uh, of the priest particularly. But you know, the, uh, uh, some people interpret this to be a reference to baptism, but I don't believe it, at all that he's speaking of baptism here. And the reason being is that baptism does not picture our cleansing. Okay, baptism doesn't picture cleansing. Baptism pictures death, burial, and resurrection. That's what it pictures. The water is a watery grave. It doesn't do anything to wash our outward body. In fact, if it did, it wouldn't matter, okay? Because it's, it's our relationship with Christ when we come to Christ. And this pictures, it pictures what's happened to us inwardly. But again, he's speaking here, again, of what the priest would, would encounter in their preparation for service. So he, this has to do with personal holiness that is made possible by the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, 5 speaks of the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables us to live holy and pure lives. So when we, we can come into God's presence uh, clean and we can come knowing our sins are confessed because we're not perfect and sinless, but we can live holy and pure lives before a holy God. And this, by the grace of God, 
enables us to draw near, to commune with God on a continual basis, to do what Scripture talks about, praying without ceasing. And and again, practicing the presence of God at all times. Yes, in those special times of prayer, when we draw near to Him in prayer, but also throughout the day. Are you aware continually of the presence of God in your life? Are you drawing near to God? Are you communing with God? And do you see yourself nearer to God now than you were uh, six months ago or a year ago? Can you see yourself drawing nearer to, nearer to God? And do you draw near with God with others? What a great privilege. So God's inviting us to draw near to him. J.I. Packer says that the Puritans were far more concerned about communion with God than we are Today, uh, he spoke about John Owen, who wrote a friend during a time of illness in his own life. He said, Christ is our best friend and ere long will be our only friend. I pray God with all my heart that I may be weary of everything else but converse and communion with him. He also, Owen also said, friendship is most maintained and kept by visits and these the more free and less occasioned by urgent business. He talks a little differently than we do. But what he's describing here is that, again, we, we want to be with God. We want to be in his presence. We want to practice his presence. We want to be alone with him. So I want to ask you today, as you think about drawing near to God, is communion with God, is drawing near to God the priority of your life? What a great joy that we have. Second, I want to, you to see the second call to our mutual Uh, call to to persevere, and that is to let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. He deals with this in verse 23. The word hold fast, that may not be a term that you use regularly in your life, but literally it means to hold to, to keep, or to retain. Uh, One commentator, Guthrie, says he means keeping a tight grip on to keep it from slipping away. And this is a present tense verb, so it means literally to let us continuously hold fast. Uh, And he uses similar language again over in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Um, we We are to continuously keep a tight grip on the confession of our hope. What do you think that means? Well, the confession, of course, uh, is what we say. It's what we say when we come to Christ in repentance and faith. And, and even what we say as we're following Christ in baptism, we're confessing our hope in him. And by the way, hope, one, one thing, uh, I didn't learn many things from seminary, but one thing that was drilled into us by my Greek professor is that the word hope in the Bible doesn't mean it the way we often say it. I hope to do this, or maybe I can do that. No, the word hope in scripture always means confident expectation, confident expectation. And, and so our confession, again, is our confident expectation of our hope. And again, hope is related to the future, almost always in scripture. And uh, he's promised us eternal salvation. He's promised he's going to come again. He's promised us that he is preparing and has prepared a place for us in heaven. He's promised us that he's coming to get us and we're going to be with him forever, that we're going to receive a new glorified body and that we're going to be with him. We're going to reign with him 
forever and ever and ever. And these are some of the promises that relate to our hope that we confess and we believe with all of our heart and that he, will, uh, he has saved us and he will keep us. And these are uh, things that we are confident, we're confident about and we're to hold firmly to those things. What kind of things keep us from, from uh, and by the way, he uses the word without wavering and this means not to bend, uh, not to slip, not to fall. And so again, we, we unwaveringly hold on and hold tightly to our hope, to those promises that God has made to us. But again, in life, we experience things that challenge our hope. That, almost, that, 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 that causes great difficulty and we're tempted to, uh, to remove our, from our hope. Uh, discouragement can do that. Seeing other people fail can, can do that. Uh, again, uh, uh, the, uh, our, our own failure, our own sin, and disappointment in ourselves and, and wondering if God can really forgive us when we fail him. Uh, again, um, uh, persecution can do that. Trials disappointment uh, in God and wondering if God has failed us. Those kind of things can, uh, can cause us to, again, lose a tight grip on our hope. And, uh, and so again, he calls us to hold firmly, not to bend. He's calling us here to persevere. You see, this is the human part, our responsibility to, to, to persevere. We don't keep ourselves saved. God keeps us, right? But yet we do have a responsibility to persevere. In fact, Jesus said in John 8, 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide, continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. This is our responsibility at, at continuing. And then he concludes with these encouraging words. He who promised is faithful. You see, the reason we can hold firmly to our hope is because God is faithful. He's promised and God always keeps his word. Any of you believe that? Amen. God always keeps his word. He's faithful to do what he says he will do. Who promises faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So again, the, the Jesus it, he speaks of our hope often here in this wonderful book of the Word of God. In fact, in, in Hebrews 6, 19, the Bible says we have this, a sure and steadfast anchor um, of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of of Melchizedek. Jesus has entered, uh, as we know, as we've sung this morning, into, the, into heaven, into the Holy of Holies. He's, he's entered in as our forerunner. I understand the students had a message uh, last night, perhaps, on this passage about Jesus being our forerunner. He's gone into the Holy of Holies. He's taken our anchor with him uh, into the Holy of Holies, into God's presence. And Jesus is the anchor of our hope. He says here that this, this hope is steadfast. It, it cannot lose its grip. It's, uh, again, it's sure. It cannot break. So I want to ask you today, is your hope slipping? Are you, are you maintaining and, and holding firmly to the confession of your hope? I challenge you today to do that. And, and if so, ask God to restore your hope. And another thing is we're thinking about doing this together you see, that's why we need each other. We need to encourage one another to hold fast to the confession of our hope. 
But thirdly and finally, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another. Verses 24 and 25. This is the third exhortation, and it's aimed again at these struggling, professing believers to mutually call themselves and call one another to persevere. Notice, first of all, he tells us we, we must care enough to confront each other. We must care enough to confront each other. Verse uh, 24, notice again, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider. This word here means to consider, means to fix one's eyes or mind on, to be attentive, to give continuous care. It's used 14 times in the New Testament. One time it's used in Philippians 2, 4, we says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. So the purpose of this careful attention, he says, to others, to others' needs, is to stir up one another. This word stir up, I mentioned it from the beginning, also translated in a couple of different translations to spur. It, it also has the idea of stim, stimulate, incite, provoke. It even can mean irritate, uh, but we're using it in a positive sense. Uh, we're to irritate each other positively. For what purpose? To love and good works. You know what this implies, folks? This implies we have to know each other. This implies we've got, to, we've got to be a part of one another's lives. We've got to know each other. We've got to love each other. We've got to be sensitive to each other's needs. And we have to see those needs. We have to be willing to lovingly confront each other, to challenge each other. And we also have to be willing to receive that. Not get our feelings hurt. Not walk around with our feelings on our shoulders when someone confronts us lovingly and, and get hurt. No, we have to realize that we love each other and we're, we want to stir one another up and encourage each other. So that means I need to ask myself questions like, uh, how, how can I help Larry to grow in his love for others? Or, or how, can I, how can I help Blake faithfully share the gospel and, and stir him up to love and good works? How can we do this for one another? So again, we must care enough to confront each other. Do you care enough about your family and do you know your family well enough? Again, that involves, it means involvement in each other's lives. Secondly, we must be radically committed to gathering with each other. One of the means that God's chosen to uh, enable, to help us in our perseverance is to gather with each other. And uh, notice he says here in, in uh, verse uh, 24, 25 rather, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. The word neglecting here means to let down. It means to abandon. It means to forsake. And he said it was the habit of some to, uh, to, to do that, to, to neglect their meeting together, to neglect the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, remember what these folks were going through? They were, these folks were facing uh, persecution, and so no doubt, some of them, as they, as they begin to experience persecution, they begin to say, hey, if I'm a part of this church, if I'm gathering together, people know and they identify me with this church, uh, they're going to bring greater persecution on me. You know, students, as you stand firm for Christ and you have a testimony of knowing Jesus as you're in your school or your community or wherever you are, then, uh, then you, you identify with, with Jesus. And, and the Bible says the servant's not greater than his master. They persecuted Jesus, they'll persecute us. And so they begin to experience that persecution and say, wait a minute, I don't like this persecution, I don't want this. And so they begin to, some of them begin to be in the habit of no longer meeting together with 
the church. And, and they begin to neglect that, neglect the assembly. And again, he's, the concern here is that it's not just dropping out of church. You see, we have, a, we have such a sad, um, casual attitude about neglecting the church today. Again, the, the idea is more than just not going to church. They, were, they weren't just abandoning church, but in doing so, they were abandoning hope. They were abandoning their faith in Christ. McDonald says this is a warning against apostasy. A warning against apostasy. And apostasy is not losing one's faith. It's abandoning faith and giving evidence that that person was never truly born again. Apostate is not one, so, someone who loses their salvation. As scripture says, that's not possible. But it's someone who abandons faith, demonstrating they never were truly saved. And so again, this is the danger. And he, he says, of, uh, instead of abandoning our gatherings, he says, we are to gather for encouraging one another. That's what we're to do for one another. That's why the one another's are so important. As we sing in the song, Lord, I'm prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And in our flesh, that's a, a flesh tendency. And therefore, we must encourage and challenge each other to remain faithful. And, and then this includes, but it's not limited to, gathering for worship. We're so grateful for those who come to worship faithfully or come to Bible study faithfully. But it's not limited to that. In fact, again, how can you stir up one another and think about and consider each other's needs if you don't really know each other, if you don't spend time together? And again, that's why we believe it's so important to be connected in building relationships with one another in, in, in community groups, in Sunday school classes, in gospel journey groups. I'm so excited about our gospel journey groups. And I uh, heard our, one of our ladies, uh, Miss Faye, was telling me they had six in their gospel journey group the other night. Hallelujah. And some more joining. And I'm excited about those relationships as people are getting to know one another and are able to stir up one another to love and good works and to encourage one another. These are absolutely essential. But dear friend, and again, thank you for your faithfulness. But if all you do is come on Sunday morning, uh, week after week, you're not really involved in the lives of one another. You're not really uh, fulfilling what this passage says we are to do. So some begin, some begin then and do now to abandon church for various reasons. Some do so, again, because of maybe of, uh, of, of, of disappointment in people, hurt by people in the church. Uh, someone hurt their feelings. Uh, and uh, some are, uh, again, abandoned the church because of maybe sin in their own lives or, again, disappointment with God, something that happened in their life, and they began to stray. Uh, and, and so, again, what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to encourage them to stay faithful, to return. And when we fail them, we need to acknowledge it. We need to say, forgive us, we were wrong, please, and we, and, and we want to be reconciled with you. Uh, again, but, but again, after again, continuing to seek to restore uh, people after repeated efforts and individually and corporately when there's an unwillingness to repent, then we are responsible for exercising church discipline and even to remove them from our membership. And again, I want to clarify, this is not to, uh, to just purge our roles. This is not to get someone off so we don't have to deal with them. You know, the purpose always of discipline is 
restoration and repentance. That's God's always God's plan. Just as it was your plan as parents to discipline your children or is your responsibility and plan in doing so. But it's to restore the person uh, in a relationship with Christ and restore them in, in, in back to where they should be as an active member of the body of Christ if they truly know Christ. But we notice he says we encourage because the day is drawing near. What is the day? The day in scripture is when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. It's when he comes and, and again, we stand before him. Some are going to stand before him ultimately to have their works judged as believers and be rewarded and enter in in uh, his presence. But however, others are going to stand before him as unbelievers. And, and therefore, uh, they're going to be separated from him forever. So what is he saying to us? He is saying, draw near the end is near. Hang on to the confession of your hope. The end is near. Uh, again, he's saying, encourage one another. The end is near. We don't know when Jesus is coming. We, and, and if we do not avail of ourselves of the opportunity, then we lose that opportunity forever. We must, again, obey these, this challenge to persevere in the light of his imminent return. In an, in an article uh, on church discipline, Alex Duke said, imagine a non-attending church member arriving at judgment day and, and being told that eternal judgment awaits. He said, at this moment, how loving will that church seem who did nothing? Imagine him asking, why didn't you warn me? Why didn't you warn me? So again, he says removal now may be the most loving thing we can do for an unrepentant non-attender. If it warns him to avoid one day hearing Jesus' words, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We don't want anyone to ever have to hear those words. So that's why we continue to encourage, encourage people in the light of this coming day. I want to close by challenging you this morning for in some ways that we can stir up one another, that we can encourage one another in the body of Christ in light of this passage. The first thing I want to challenge you, and by the way, these will be on the screen. The first thing is be committed to the total life of the church. And again, I mean, be involved in the, in the total life of the church, not just as an attender, but a participant in the life of the church. Secondly, pray daily for our church family. I hope you do that. That's, I think, the number one reason for a pictorial church directory uh, is to have that directory to pray for our church family. And we do that on our Monday morning prayer meetings, but I do that in my own personal prayer time. Different days of the week, I pray for different folks, and I hope you do that as well. That's so important. Thirdly, stay connected with each other during the week. Again, do life together, not just on Sunday morning, but, but stay connected uh, with one another during the week. Uh, number four, contact those you don't see today. Everybody's not here. So what's our responsibility? We need to, we need to immediately this afternoon, we need to get in touch with folks. You know, uh, I'm so grateful. Think about brother, uh, brother Ben Wolf. He's so faithful to contact people and to stay in touch with people, to call them on their birthdays and, and to let people know he's thinking about them. And we need to do that as well. And especially those we don't see today. Number five, participate in community groups and in a discipleship group, gospel journey group. That'll help you. And again, getting to know and, and being able to stir up one another and encourage uh, one another. 
And then number six, pray regularly with each other. Are you praying with each other about needs in your life? That's so very important. And don't just hear prayer requests, but stop right then and pray with one another. Uh, Number seven, share with each other what God is teaching you and how he's working in your life. Don't just share about your problems. Do that. Uh, And don't just share about what's going on with your grandchildren or your children. Do that. But, But share what God is showing you in his word and how he's teaching you. That'll reinforce what he's teaching you, and it'll be an encouragement and a blessing to them. And then number eight, and finally, lovingly correct and receive correction from one another. Lovingly correct and receive correction. We're accountable to one another. We're responsible to the Lord, but we're accountable to one another. And what a great privilege we have to be a part of the body of Christ. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.